Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be beginning a new parsha, Parshas B'Shalach. Our parsha is 116 psukim long in total, and our Aliyah Rishon is 14 psukim, running from Perik Yudgimul Yudzayin to Yudalad Ches. The main idea of our Aliyah is the Egyptians' change of heart. Let's take a quick look at the psukim, and then we'll dive in for a few points to ponder. We hear that when Pharaoh sends forth, releases the nation, Hashem did not take them in the way of the Philistines because it is too close, because Hashem said, lest they see war, and then they will return to Mitzrayim. Um, Hashem rather took them in the way of the desert towards the Reed Sea, the uh, Yam Suf, and when Israel came up, Chamushim, we, a confusing word to translate. It sounds like a fifth of a sort from the land of Egypt. We also hear that Moshe Rabbeinu has with him the Atzmos Yosef, the bones of Yosef, because of the, the oath that Yosef made him take, that he would bring the bow, that, that the brothers would bring his bones up with, and Moshe, as a representative of the nation of Israel, has taken that upon himself. We hear about how Hashem walks in front of the camp of Israel in the day, and during the night, there is a cloud, there is this pillar of fire, and they, are prepared, and they are protected. In the meantime, Hashem then tells Moshe that you're going to now move um, from your first encampment, which is at Sukkos, which is the end of the desert, the edge of the desert, and you're going to now return to a place called Pihachiros, which is between Migdal and Yam, which faces Baal Tzaphon. So that's where they sort of turn back. And Paro will say that B'nai Israel are lost, and I'm going to strengthen, says Hashem, his heart. He's going to chase after you. I'm going to allow him to go heart strong, head strong into this. And that's what, that's what in fact happens. Pharaoh hears about this. He settles his, his chariot. He gets 600 um, chariots out there. And off he goes to chase after Israel. Even though Israel are leaving with a strengthened hand. This is what we hear in Aralia. A few basic points to ponder. The first Pasuk is somewhat confusing. We're told that when the nation of Israel have been released, they don't go through the Derech Eretz Plisht in the way of the Philistines because it is too close. That, there's a number of questions we can have just to understand the mechanics of this. The area of the Philistines, the Philistines are not a native um, nation to the land of Canaan. They are actually a seafaring nation from the area in, of Cyprus, but they settle upon the coast, the lower coast, coast of where Gaza is today. So the most natural way of exiting Egypt and getting to the land of Canaan would be through the Gaza area. And yet Hashem chooses not to do that, rather takes them into this deeper into the Sinai Peninsula towards the Red Sea. Why does he do this? Because Kikarov, or because it is too close, and if they see war, they will return. What exactly does that mean? So some of Farishim, the Ibn Ezra quotes one of the, one of Farish, who suggests that the word key, because it is close, actually means the opposite. Despite the fact that it's close, um, he, is, he is taking them another way. Meaning to say, take, the closeness is a good thing. So despite the fact that it's close, he's taking them um, another way. However, Rashi says, no, the point is like this. Because it is close, what's going to end up happening is, is when there would be a war, then they would immediately lose heart and return to Egypt very easily. But if it's going to be a longer route, it's going to be less likely that they will turn coat. 
The Talmudim Yerushalmi actually gives us a little more details. It explains that 30 years prior to the end of the Egyptian exile, the children of Ephraim believed that the end had come, and they really that was the appropriate time to leave the land of Egypt, and they broke out, tried to enter the land of Israel, and yet were killed by the Philistines upon access, and that, at which point in time they were um, killed and their bodies were strewn across a certain valley. Um, it is later on in Yechezkel where we hear about the resurrection of the dry bones and it refers to the dry bones according to one opinion in the Gemara in Sanhedrin to these dry bones of the children of Ephraim. So one of the reasons why they're not being taken through the Philistine territory is because the first thing they will encounter is the valley of bodies of their brethren and that will automatically scare them they'll turn around and flee. So that's the Targum Yerushalmi giving us a little more depth. However, the Medrash Mechilta, which is a Medrash Halacha, which starts just now, really, um, around these parashiyas, when there starts to be more halacha in the Torah, as the Midrash Mechilta actually says a very interesting observation. It says, what is a kikara of who? It's close. It means the, the oath of Avraham of Inu is still too close. The statute of limitation has not yet run its course. What does that mean? What is this referring to? So you go to the end of Parshas Vayera, you remember that there's a peace accord sound, uh, which is signed between Avraham and Avimelech, and is intergenerational for three generations that there's not going to be attrition between the Philistines and the Hebrews. And it was seen, according to the Medrash, and according to many Mepharshim, that this was a negative thing. Avraham Avinu should not have been looking for security or not agreed to give security or intergenerational security to the, this accord with the Philistines. This was not the appropriate time. Hashem had promised in the land. He knew he would have to remove all the inhabitants of the land and that would include the Philistines later on. That being the case, this was seen as a negative thing. And so what's being told over here is that perhaps the nation of Israel could have gone through the Gaza area where the Philistines were living, but they were not able to because of the the, the fact that this Shavua, this oath, was still extant as well. Another question is the translation of the word Vachamushim. The nation of Israel came up Chamushim. It sounds like it comes from the word five, but how does it relate? So Rashi, there are a number of explanations which are suggested. Rashi suggests that it refers to a very stark statistic, 20% of the nation of Israel only left Egypt. The rest were quite happy in the land of Egypt. And it sounds like a stark poll, but unfortunately, if we were to do the math right now, um, it's, it's, and one were to ask how many Jews living in America today um, really associate with their Judaism to the degree that they would pick up and leave were it to demand such, um, perhaps the statistics would be in a similar, um, in a, of a similar um, painting and, and a statistic range, unfortunately. So this is what's being described for Chamushim, a very stark description. The second explanation that Rashi says, Chamushim means Mizuyanim, they were armed. Um, in fact, the, the, the Targum Yonasan, there, there are those who say that they are, are whether it means weapons or mitzvahs, commandments, like they had good deeds which armed them. And the third potential possibilities, the Targum Yonasan and Nazil, who suggests that they came out with five children, Im Chamsha Taflin. Chamushim means the word five children they came out with. What does this mean? How does this work exactly? We've heard about the children, the people having children in groups of six. But what does this mean over here? So very hard to understand. We hear all these different explanations. There's really four in total. Either they left 20% of Israel left, either they came out with real arms or they came out with spiritual arms 
commandments that they had fulfilled, or they came out with five children, all very disparate ideas. The Be'er Yosef, Rav Yosef Salanch, suggests a really truly remarkable idea over here. And then he says that they're all telling the same story. If, in fact, there were 20% of the nation of Israel, of Hebrews, who are willing to identify with what their core identity was and not Egyptian identity, willing to leave the land, and the other four-fifths, the other 80% were not. And as we understand, as the Medrash tells us, that 80% were actually wiped out during the plague of darkness. That means to say that there were many, many orphans in the land, uh, in the land of Egypt, many Hebrew orphans, because the children would not have been punished for that decision not to, not, not to want to leave. But the parents were. And that would mean to say that essentially there were um, a four-fifths more children than there were in fact adults. And what at this point in time happened is that the remaining families adopted the children of the bereft ones and took in essentially another four sets of families, another four sets of children, which means in total they had five sets of children. Now, we all know the feeling when we take somebody else's kid or kid on a trip, we take them to the zoo and, you know, we know that it's got a term limit, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end after the trip and sometimes that can't, we, can't, we, we are only too glad to reach the end of that, that uh, trip with that kid or those kids because it's hard to discipline them. Imagine taking in the children of four other families that you don't necessarily know. That's what was happening over here. And that's how, in fact, all these ideas converge. The good deeds were the five sets of children they had. And that was related to the fact that it was only one-fifth of them, all telling one story. And perhaps this is the good deeds which enabled them to cross the sea because they had been kind enough to their brothers and sisters to take in their children. Finally, one last question, and that is, what leads Pharaoh to the misguided notion that he can chase after this nation after having seen and witnessed and experienced the ten plagues? So Rashi points out a few points which are a little bit fishy here, which seem a little strange. Number one is that the nation of Israel turn around as God commands them. Number two is, is that the place they turn around to is just outside Pitom, which is Per Atom, which is one of the cities the, the nation of Israel built, which has in its shadow Baal Tzaphon. Baal Tzaphon was one of the gods of Egypt, and in fact it was the only god, the only statue, which had not been struck down during the plagues. All the other Egyptian gods had been broken in some form or fashion. This being the case, Pharaoh looked at this and grasping at straws says, look, you see, they can't, con they can't conquer, or their god is not powerful enough to conquer Baal Tzaphon, which enabled him to have just a little bit to stand on to think that perhaps he could go after them. The Drosh HaSaran, Rabbeinu Nisim, makes a, the suggestion that, in fact, it was the weakness of Moshe Rabbeinu's request which allowed Pharaoh to have the audacity to make this move. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu had not said, set my people free forever. He had said, give us three days. He had not said, we're going to take your wealth. He said, may we borrow your wealth. All of those suggest a posture of weakness. That being the case, Pharaoh said, well, if they're not really the real deal, if they can't really ask more definitively and with greater strength, then perhaps they really are just faking it. They are not really the real deal, which enabled him to, to saddle his own chariot and chase after them. With this, we conclude the first Ali. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.